At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed, have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters five through seven to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Omega, you're the beginning and the end, Jesus. And we worship you today, Jesus, knowing that you have all the answers. That because you are there in the beginning and because you're there in the end, Jesus, you know the end of all things, Jesus. So we trust you today, Jesus. We worship you today, but we thank you for the testimony that was shared today by Brother Sam. We thank you just for this building, Jesus, for the ability to worship you here today, Jesus. We thank you that you brought us here. We thank you for bringing us through this week, bringing us through the, the trials we face even this week, Jesus. And we trust in you today, Lord, knowing that you're Alpha, that you're Omega, that you're the beginning and the end, and that we can put our faith, hope, and trust in you as our Savior, Jesus. So open our hearts now, Jesus. Work through this passage in Romans, Jesus, and help us, Jesus, look to you for who you are, believing that you're going to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask for or imagine, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, worship team. We're going to jump right in today. Uh, we got a lot to go over. But before we jump in, I want us to all think of a time in our life, a moment in our life where we knew right away that we had really messed up. We, know, we knew that in that moment we had really blown it. And not, not just that we had blown it or messed up, but we blew, we blew it with someone that we really loved, someone we really respected, someone maybe even that had authority over us that we worked for. A moment that comes to mind for me is when I was able to work alongside and serve in Thailand for a, a national pastor there who Woodside actually partners with, Pastor John. And one of my main responsibilities with Pastor John was to help him with driving. He has an orphanage. There's a lot of driving needs. At the time, he didn't have a lot of drivers. So one of my responsibilities actually was to help him drive and just help get people where they needed to go. And some of you have been to foreign countries and have even driven or at least rode in a car in foreign countries, and you know that in foreign countries, driving is very different. Others of you may know how to drive a manual transmission car, and you know that that is also very different than driving an automatic transmission. So here I am in Thailand trying to learn how to drive on the left side of the road, trying to learn how to drive with motorbikes flying left and right beside you, trying to learn for the first time by teaching myself how to drive a manual transmission car. And here I am carrying out these driving tasks for Pastor John. And there's a lot of stories that go along with this. By God's grace, I never got in a serious accident or any of these things. But I remember a moment where I really let Pastor John down. In fact, I was driving not the church vans, not the church trucks, but I was driving his own new Ford Ranger. 
that he had bought about six months ago. And I'm driving, and I have a couple errands that I'm running for him that day, culminating with me picking up his kids up at school and actually coaching a basketball game. And somewhere along in the day, trying to figure out where I'm going, trying to figure out how to drive, trying to figure out all of these things, what I'm doing is I'm trying to back in to one parking spot here at a hotel. And this hotel parking lot couldn't have been bigger than Pastor Ryan's office. And here I am with this American truck, this Ford Ranger, and I'm trying to back in to this parking spot. And as I'm backing into this parking spot, I scrape the side of his car on a concrete pole. And Pastor John loved that truck. He really loved that truck. And I knew in that moment that I had really blown it. I knew in that moment that I had really messed up. I knew in that moment that I was going to have to tell Pastor John and admit that I had scratched his brand new truck. There was no way around it. I knew I had really let him down. But the beautiful thing about this story is I did end up telling Pastor John later that day. I made a phone call to him, and I told him that I had scratched his truck. And even though Pastor John was my pastor, was my leader, was my boss, was a spiritual father in my life, even though he had the positional authority to even be angry with me in that moment, maybe even make me pay for the the damages I had done to his truck in that moment, even though he had the right to do just about everything he wanted, in that moment when I told him, he told me, that's all right, Drew. Don't worry about it. Thanks for telling me. I'll see the car when you, when you, when you get home. Thank you for all you do to me. For, thank you for all you do for me. And what a beautiful picture that was of someone who had the authority, someone who had the positional right to maybe bring wrath, to bring anger, to bring consequences to my life, but instead chose to bring grace and to show me grace. And the unfortunate thing I think that a lot of us see and would agree with is that's not generally the case with people who are in positions of authority in the world today. We see CEOs that use company budget dollars for their own uh, selfish side hobbies. We see politicians who make laws that they can work around but that uh, enslave the people. We see politicians and teachers and pastors and coaches use different authority that they have to do whatever they want, to get whatever they want, and to abuse the power and the people that they were called to serve. And unfortunately, what we're going to see today in our text in Romans chapter 6, if you want to start turning there, Romans chapter 6, we're going to be reading verses 1 to 7. Unfortunately, what we're going to see today is that in the life of a Christian, and for those of us who have placed our faith and hope and trust in Jesus, we can abuse the positional authority and grace that God has given us. We can abuse the very thing that God gave us as a grace. If you remember last week, Denzel was preaching and he went through Romans chapter 5. And he talked about the grace we have through Jesus. That through Jesus, if we have believed in him, we have justification through his work on the cross. And that we actually stand positionally in grace, even though when he saved us we were dead in our trespasses. And this this passage culminates with a verse in Romans 5.20 that says, Where sin increases, grace increased all the more. In other words, a picture I thought of is, uh, imagine you have a cup, a glass uh, for water, and your sin is like you take that glass of water and you put it under a faucet and you turn the faucet on and that faucet is overflowing the cup. Maybe that's how you feel like 
your sin is in this life. That's how I oftentimes feel like my sin is in this life. If that's the case, this verse that Denzel went over last week where sin increases, grace increases all the more, is like that same cup, but it's under the Niagara Falls. And God's grace is falling over that same cup and even destroying it. That's what God's grace is like in comparison to our sin. But unfortunately, people and Christians and even theologians have taken that and they have taken that and thought, well, if God's grace will always be more, then I'm just going to continue to sin not worrying about my sin. I'm going to continue to sin knowing that God will always give me grace. And this is the question that we're going to be looking at today, that in Jesus, for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, are we freed to sin or are we freed from sin? Are we freed to continue sinning as much as we want or to not worry that much or take our sin that seriously? Or are we freed from sin and the enslavement and power of sin? And in order to answer this question, Paul is going to be looking at baptism and what baptism signifies in order to teach us about grace and teach us about how we are supposed to act as ones who are under God's mercy. And our big idea today, what Paul is going to be teaching us in this passage in Romans chapter 6, where we're at the third part of our sermon series in Romans called Newish, what he's going to be teaching us through baptism today is that our walk should match our baptism. Our walk with Jesus should match our baptism. So we're going to jump right into the text today. We're going to read it all the way through just because I like uh, seeing the whole argument. Then we're going to break it down piece by piece to see how through baptism Paul teaches us that our walk with Jesus should match our baptism. Again, Romans chapter 6, starting with verse 1. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. The first thing that we're going to see Paul teach us in this passage today through what baptism signifies is that we who are in Christ have died to sin. Remember, Denzel last week he preached on Romans chapter 5 and it culminates with this scripture, this passage in, cha- in verse 20 that says where our sin increases, our grace, uh, God's grace increases all the more. So what Paul does in the first verse of chapter 6 is he actually predicts this question, this abuse of grace question. And he asks, what, what, what shall we say then? If, if God's grace will always be the Niagara Falls over this cup, over the sin in our life, are we to consi- continue sin in sin knowing that grace will, will abound? Are we to continue in sin knowing 
that God's grace will always be greater? And he immediately answers this question to leave no doubt in the minds of the Romans and his audience. He says, by no means. By no means are we to continue in sin knowing that God's grace will be more. But I think it's at, uh, fair to ask why. Because I think in our culture and the world we live in today, usually if there is an abundance of something, we take an abundance from that thing. A couple examples. One would be, imagine I know when I go to my grandparents' house, they always have an abundance of food. They always have a fridge that's full, a bunch of drinks, there's good meals, there's good cookies. I always know that there's an abundance of food, so I take an abundance of food. Or maybe you can think of your paycheck. When you receive your paycheck, maybe it's bi-weekly, maybe it's monthly, maybe it's weekly, when you receive your paycheck, you have an abundance of money in your hands. So you might spend more freely than you ought out of the abundance of money you have in that moment in your bank account. But at the end of your pay period, when you're waiting for the next check, you're more careful about what you spend. In the same way, when I'm at my own house, the food is a lot more scarce. And I'm a lot more careful about how much food I eat and how much food I take. So if there's an abundance of grace, if there's an abundance of mercy, if God's mercy and grace will always be more than our sin, why should we worry about sin? Isn't God's grace a good thing? Shouldn't we want to receive more of God's grace? But look how Paul answers this second question in the second half of verse 2. He answers this question just like Jesus answers so many questions in the Gospels by another question. And this time, a rhetorical question. Let's pick back up in verse 2. It says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In verse 3, he answers this second question. If there's an abundance of something, why shouldn't we take and sin freely to receive an abundance of God's grace? He answers this question by another question in verse 3. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we have died to sin. If we have died to sin, that means we can no longer live to sin. You cannot be dead and alive at the same time. And then Paul immediately starts explaining more in depth what he means by dead to sin. This is the first time this phrase is used in the book of Romans. And he hasn't, again, used it yet in Romans. And he explains what he means by the fact that we have died to sin through the picture of our union with Christ in the symbol of baptism. But first, what is baptism? Well, Woodside, and you can see this on our website, Woodside, we believe that baptism is a symbol used to describe our salvation experience and to publicly declare our commitment to Christ. We're going to have a baptism. It's actually Baptism Sunday. We're going to have a baptism next service. So Woodside, again, we believe that baptism is a symbol. In other words, we're not saved through baptism, but it's a symbol used to describe our salvation experience and to publicly declare our commitment to Christ. I'm sure almost all of us, if not all of us, have seen a baptism before where someone is dunked underwater by immersion in front of a body of believers, usually a church, but can be in a river down the road with a body of believers. And as they're 
They're dunked underwater by immersion and then they're raised out of the water. And this symbolizes the work that has already been done internally. This symbolizes the new relationship and commitment to body, the body of believers that the, belie- that the new believer is making. Baptism is a symbol of what Christ has already done in an individual and an outward symbol for a community of believers that that individual is now a part of that community. So what's Paul talking about here? Why does he use baptism to help us understand this concept of how we're dead to sin and how we should view grace? Let's look at verse 3 again. It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What Paul is saying here is it in a way that is beyond our understanding. Just as Christ Jesus died on the cross, so when we become new believers, we are also dead now to sin. Jesus Jesus died on the cross for our sins to defeat defeat sin, to defeat the powers of darkness, to uh, tear the, the veil in the temple into two so that we can have a relationship with Jesus. Just as Jesus died on the cross for sin, so now we share in that death. And just as one is baptized underwater to symbolize that, so baptism is a symbol of how we as believers in Jesus, for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, are now dead to sin. So how can we live in what we are already dead to? The answer is obviously we can't. You cannot be dead and alive at the same time. Furthermore, he goes even further in verse 4, to show us that not only are we dead to sin, but Jesus, just as Jesus was crucified on the cross and then buried in the tomb, so our past life, so our sin has also been buried with Christ. We are dead to sin. And we share in Christ's death and burial of sin. And baptism, as one is dunked underwater, is symbolic of this reality. And baptism, in other words, we're publicly directly, powerfully stating that sin is dead in our life, that sin is nothing to us, that we are renouncing sin, that we are unidentifying with sin, and we are identifying with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior who died on the cross, so therefore now we share in that death. So the question is, who do we identify with? Do we identify with Christ? Are we dead to sin? Or are we still alive to sin? Do we share and identify with Christ's death? Have we been baptized? Maybe some of us today aren't believers yet, and we haven't placed our faith and trust in Jesus. I want to encourage you today, don't leave here today without a relationship with Jesus. Just as Brother Sham, Sam excuse me, uh, shared his beautiful testimony today, part of his testimony about how he experienced a new regeneration through Jesus, just as Jesus saved him, just as he believed in Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for his sin, and he believed in him, and he is able to walk in a new, new life. Now, Jesus, or Paul is teaching us through this passage that we too can be saved through Jesus, that we too can be walking, as we're about to see, in this newness of life. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus yet? Romans, a little later in the chapter, teaches us that if we believe in our heart that Christ died and that he is Lord and confess with our mouth that he rose from the dead, then we will 
be saved? Have you made that decision yet? Have you placed your faith in Jesus yet? Do you identify with Jesus yet? If so, have you been baptized? I think this is a great point to stop and ask, have you been baptized? Today, again, we're having a baptism. Have you been baptized? Baptism is a beautiful opportunity to proclaim to your church body that you are now in Christ. And what it does is it connects you to a body of believers who will pray with you, who will walk with you, who will do life with you, who will be there for the hard times and for the good times. If you haven't been baptized yet, I encourage you, talk to Pastor Ryan after service. Talk to someone after service. Get connected. We have a, a next, text, next Steps class coming up where you can learn more about baptism and salvation. And you can even be baptized like someone will be later today. But I think there's a third group also today. Uh, maybe you haven't placed your faith in Jesus. Maybe you haven't uh, been baptized. But I think there's a third group. That third group that is those of us who are in Christ Jesus but if we're being honest when we hear that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ, we think about our own lives and we feel as if our cup is actually the one and our sin is like the Niagara Falls that is actually destroying our lives and destroying the cup. When we think about our lives, we think it's actually our sin that is like the Niagara Falls and it's not God's grace, we're still wrestling with sin, we're still struggling with sin. When we look at our life, when we think about our life, when we're honest about our life, we realize that we're still struggling. This is an important point, I think, to make a distinction in what Paul is talking about in our relationship to sin. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, it does not mean when we say that we're dead to sin that we sin no more. What it means is that we are no longer enslaved to sin that we are no longer held captive to the power of sin like we once were. But we still are going to be wrestling with sin. And the beautiful part is, for those of us in Christ Jesus, that his grace is the Niagara Falls, that it will cover our sin, that we can confess our sins, and that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins as we continue to walk with him. One of my good friends, uh, he actually gave me a beautiful analogy without even knowing this week of this picture. Uh, he's one of my good friends, Kayvon, right over there. He doesn't even know I'm about to do this. Um, he gave me a beautiful analogy about this. And if you haven't met Kayvon, you have to meet him. You just have to meet him. That's all I'll say. Uh, he's, he's an awesome brother. But earlier this week, we were hanging out, and we were at the house, and all of a sudden, he storms inside. And he says, I think God's trying to teach me something. And we were like, okay, cool. What's he teaching? He's, te he's, he's teaching me that even though it's still hard, even though there's still a lot of things that aren't coming together, that he's still in charge. And I said, that's, that's awesome. He's like, no, look, come outside. So we, I go outside, and we look outside, and it was raining. And the rain was falling, but there was only one little cloud of rain. And it was still sunny outside. But where we were right there, it was raining. And at that moment, I thought, what a beautiful picture of what our sin is like for those of us in Christ Jesus. There might be a little cloud where we're still seeing the rain, and in moments it might feel like we're completely overcome by that cloud, but if we really look at the sky, we see the sun shining. And we see, just like with this storm, we see that the sun will quickly and shortly overcome this cloud, this, this brief rain 
storm that we're experiencing, this brief moment where we're still feeling the rain, where we're still feeling the weight and brokenness of our sin, when we're still struggling with sin, Jesus is still ultimately in charge of our life, and we're no longer enslaved to sin. And one day we can look forward to a day where the sun completely overcomes that little cloud, just like it did in that storm. One day we will receive our glorified bodies. And Jesus will, uh, in a consummating way, completely destroy our sin for all of eternity. But we're no longer enslaved to sin. Even though we might feel like that cloud is a lot bigger than it should be, sometimes even though it's sometimes harder to see the sun through the cloud, Jesus is still ultimately in charge. The sun is still shining in heaven in our lives over that cloud and we are no longer enslaved to sin. We are dead to sin. So our first point today, Paul's first main point in this passage where he's teaching us how our walk should match our baptism and that is that we are dead to sin. As we are dunked underwater in baptism as a symbol of our sin life, so we are now no longer alive to sin. We are no longer enslaved to sin. We are dead to sin. And the second thing we're going to see is that we rose to new life. Through Christ, we have risen to a new life. We rose to new life. Let's pick back up and read verses 4 to 7 again. It says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to the sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. So when we go under the water in baptism, when we're immersed in that water and baptism, we don't stay in the water, right? If you do, you might need to find a new church. You might need to find a new pastor. For anyone who's seen a baptism, you don't stay under the water. The pastor raises you out of the water. Just like Jesus was risen from the dead out of the grave, so we, when we are baptized, symbolizing our death to sin, so we are raised out of the water. And in this passage, in verse 5, It teaches us that as we're raised out of this water, Jesus is raising us to a newness of life. A new life. A life that's different than the life that we had before when we were enslaved to sin. And not only are we raised to a new life, not only are we raised to newness in life, but he also reminds us in verse 5 that one day we will be completely resurrected. We will be completely resurrected. That the sun will completely overcome that rain cloud, and we'll receive our new glorified bodies whereby we will never wrestle with sin again, whereby we will never wrestle with that rainstorm again. And baptism is symbolic of this reality in our life, that just as we are dunked and immersed in the water, we don't stay in the water. We're raised to new life. So we're dead to sin, and we have risen to a new life. And Paul further illustrates this point in verse 6 by really two phrases, the old self and the body of sin. He says in verse 6, the old self was crucified in order that the body of sin might be brought 
to nothing. But what does he mean by these passages? By the old self, he's talking about who we were before Christ. He's talking about the old Drew, the old you. He's talking about the sinful life that you lived when you were still enslaved to sin. I love how Paul puts it in his letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, when he's talking about those of us, how we were before we were in Christ. He says we were by nature children of wrath, that we were dead in our trespasses. This is the old self that Paul is talking about here. The, the self that was dead in their trespasses, that was by nature a children, that we were a child of wrath. That's who we were before Christ. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. This is the old self that Paul is talking about. And when he says the old self was crucified in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, what he's talking about is the body of sin, the, the actual flesh of that old self. The actual flesh that was created in God's image and was good, but that has been marred by our own sin, by the sins of other and the sinful nature of this world. One commentator puts it this way when talking about our body of sin. He says, sin uses our body for its own evil purposes, perverting our natural instincts, degrading sleepiness into sloth, hunger into greed, and sexual desire into lust. In other words, sin's reach impacts our life in a deep way so that our thoughts, our desires, our impulses, our longings, our actions are so marred by sin. But the beautiful part about this passage and what Paul is teaching us that, is that when we are in Christ Jesus, this old self, this body of sin is dead. Sure, we still sin. Sure, we still have that rain cloud in, during this uh, the sunny day that sometimes can seem overwhelming, that can seem like is all there is. But the sun is still shining. Jesus is still in charge. Jesus is sitting on the throne. Jesus did rise from the dead, just like we rose out of the water in baptism. Therefore, we can walk in this newness of life. Therefore, we are no longer enslaved to sin. Why? Because we are dead to sin. We cannot live in the thing that we are dead to. And you see, really the whole point of not just this passage, but really a lot of Scripture and a lot of the, a lot of the New Testament is that Jesus' work on earth didn't just free us from sin. It didn't just help us be forgiven from sin. It didn't just help us to be dead to sin. But what it actually does is that it transforms our life. And it transforms our life in a way to where we can have a new life and walk in this newness of life that Paul is talking about. Walk with peace and hope and love and joy and some of these qualities that are not of this world, that are not dependent on circumstances. So we're not just forgiven from our sins. We're not just dead to sins. But what, what Paul is talking about in the second portion of Scripture is that we have actually risen to a new life. Just as Christ rose from the dead, so we share in his resurrection in a way that's beyond our understanding so that now we can actually walk in a newness of life. When I think about my own life, I can think of an abundance of things I used to be enslaved to, enslaved to what people thought of me, enslaved to how I performed various addictions and uh, sinful desires. And as I've slowly 
grown in Christ, I've learned that I could have never gotten myself out of that enslavement. And maybe when you think about your own life, you can remember back, for those of you who are in Christ Jesus now, to how you used to be enslaved to many different things. How John uh, describes, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2, that we used to be uh, enslaved to the, the lusts of the flesh, the desires of, of, of the eyes, and the pride of life. When you look back at your old life, the old self, the body of sin, we can think of so many things that we used to be enslaved to. And again, the beauty of those things that we used to be enslaved to is that we could have never gotten ourselves out of those. But Christ died when? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But what Paul is really teaching us in this passage is that we're not just dead to sin. We're not just forgiven for sin. No, Christ died so that he could free us from all of these things. Listen to how John Scott puts it in his commentary on the book of Romans, when he's commenting on these verses, he says this, the death and resurrection of Jesus are not only historical facts and significant doctrines, but also personal experiences. Since through faith and baptism we have come to share in them ourselves. Are you sharing in the freedom and the newness of life that Christ is offering? Are you dead to sin? Or if you're honest, are you still alive to sin? Have you not placed your faith and hope and trust in Jesus? Do you still identify with the enslavement of sin? When you look outside, is it truly all rain clouds? Or do you see the sun still shining? Who do you identify with? Because if we identify with Christ, we really are dead to sin. We really have been risen to a new life. And if, if, if so, if we're dead to sin, then there's no way, going back to the original question in, in verse 1, that we can continue sinning knowing that grace will abound. Why? Because we're dead to sin. We no longer have the same relationship with sin. Yes, we still sin. Yes, we still see that rain cloud. And sometimes it seems like it's the only thing in the sky. But the truth is, for those of us in Christ Jesus, just as it's symbolized in baptism when we're dunked under the water and brought out of the water so we too are now dead to sin and alive with Christ as he rose us to a new life a newness of life a life full of joy and hope and peace and purpose not a life where we cannot get out of the very thing that is killing us so do you believe that today because if you're in Christ you really are dead to sin and alive to Christ how do we do this? As we close today, as the worship team comes back up, I think this is important to ask, how do we actually do this? Because this can seem like a message of where the, the application is simply to stop sinning. But for those of us who are in Christ, who have been walking with Christ, who remember our salvation in Christ, we remember that we can't stop sinning. If we could have, we would have never been enslaved to sin. So how do we actually do this? How do we live fully in the death to our sin and the resurrection, the new life that Christ is trying to bring us to? I'm brought back to another passage in another book that Paul wrote in the letter to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11, we're going to close with this today. 
I see this as really the how-to for how we can walk in this life that Christ has called us. And even the how-to for those of you who might not know Christ as your Savior yet. So I'm going to be reading in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. Says, Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that, may any means, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Does this sound similar to what we were just reading? This end part, that I may know him in the power of what? His resurrection, that I may share in what? His sufferings becoming like him in what? Like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain what? The resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying that he is striving to be more like Christ in his death, to by any means possible attain the resurrection from the dead. Symbolized beautifully in baptism, where we're dunked under the water and are dead now to sin and are raised to a new life. So Paul, the most fruitful evangelist probably of all time is writing a letter to the Philippians where he's telling them that I right now am striving to become more like Christ in his death and that by any means possible I can attain this resurrection from the dead, this, new, this newness of life, this, this resurrection where I can walk freely in Christ's purpose for my life. But again, how? How do we do that? I think he gives a beautiful picture of how to do that right before that in verse 8. I'll start in verse 7. For whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. How do we share in Christ's death? How do, by any means possible, do we attain the resurrection from dead? We do that by counting everything else in this world as lost. By counting what? Our sin is lost. By, by counting our good deeds as lost. Our church attendance as lost. Our skills and abilities as lost. Our ability to stop sinning as lost. And what do we count it as lost for? For knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the, all, suffered the loss of all things and count them as what? Rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Where are you putting your energy? Where are you putting your resources? Are you putting it in your own ability to stop sinning? Are you putting it in your own righteousness, your own church attendance, your own tithing, your own ability to put to death the sin in your life? Or are you putting your time and your energy into knowing Christ Jesus, your Lord? Because only through putting your energy in knowing Christ Jesus, your Lord, does Christ help you walk in this newness of life 
through helping you identify with him in his death and identify with him in his resurrection from the grave. Where are you putting your energy, though? Are you counting everything else as loss? Are you counting it all as rubbish for the what? Surpassing worth. What does that mean? It means there's nothing worth more in this world or in your own ability in all of creation than to know Christ Jesus. And as you get to know Jesus, maybe you don't know him at all yet. Again, I encourage you to talk to someone before you leave. He did come on this earth. He did live the perfect life. He did die on the cross. He did rise from the dead. And now he wants us to share in those things with us. And as we get to know Christ Jesus, as we put our energy into the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord, he will help us help our walk match our baptism. He will help us walk in this newness of life that he promised us. He will help bring the joy and the peace and the love and the enjoyment even of this life that he's called us to live in. But we got to stop putting our energy in everything else. And we got to count everything else as rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. As we do that, he will help our walk match our baptism. He will help us identify more with the death of sin and the resurrection to a new life. But we got to put our hope and our ability and our efforts and our resources in knowing Christ Jesus. So whether you know him or whether you don't, that's my prayer today, that you would come to him and say, Jesus, help me know you better. Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you today. We thank you today. We praise you today. We thank you for baptism, Jesus. We thank you for this baptism that's going to happen in the next service, Jesus. We thank you that someone else is publicly portraying and displaying the new life that they have in Christ, Lord, that they are dead to sin and alive in you, Jesus, that they want to walk in the newness of life, that they want to be committed to the body of Christ. I pray if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you, Lord, that today would be the day. If there's anyone in here that needs to be baptized, today would be the day they sign up for the Next Steps class and work toward and start walking toward baptism, Jesus, so they can display what you've done in their heart. For those of us who do know you, Jesus, for those of us who are looking at our lives and feel like your grace is actually the Niagara Falls, even though it's only the faucet, Jesus, who feel like we are still walking in the sin, Jesus, I pray that they would take, that we would take our energies away from trying to stop sinning on our own, Jesus, and we put our energies into knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord, which has a surpassing worth, which has a worth that's far greater than anything we can accumulate, anything we can achieve, anything we can do in this world. Jesus, we need to know you more. I need to know you more, Jesus. Forgive us for putting our energies into other things. Forgive us for putting our energies into uh, knowing you more on our own strength, Jesus. And help us today, Jesus, whether we're meeting you for the first time or trying to meet you again for the hundredth time, Jesus, and refocus our minds into knowing you more deeply, Lord. I pray that you would help us today, Jesus, put our energies and our focus and our talents and our time and our treasure into knowing you, Jesus, trusting that you can do far more abundantly, Jesus, than we could ever ask for or imagine. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are, Jesus. As we continue in worship, Jesus, we pray that you would just help us walk more fully in the newness of life. Amen. Amen. Come on. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. 
We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.